G'day and thank you for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. I want to flag a couple of things that are coming up in the month of February. Firstly, we have our 21 days of prayer and fasting kicking off on the 1st of Feb. And this is a great opportunity to lay something aside or some things aside that are likely to distract us. Things that might make it more challenging for us to hear God's voice or to obey God's voice or possibly both. And we acknowledge that everything is a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. It is simply His merit, not ours. We're not trying to earn our salvation by doing this, but we just want to hear Him more clearly. We want to be able to obey Him more completely. And whether we are actually laying aside uh, particular foods or food in general, um, whether we are laying aside social media for a season, whatever it is, we want to hear Jesus and we want to obey Jesus. And that is why we fast Uh, We also have our Discipleship Training Week coming up from the 7th to the 11th of February. And we are having sessions from 8.30 until 2 p.m. So that's happening Monday through to Friday. The Tuesday and the Friday, there are a worship night and then a prayer night that are coming up. And the focus of the whole thing is prayer. So each of the daytimes are really focused in on a different area of prayer. And I commend it to you, whether you access that uh, in person or online, um, I'm confident this is going to be a great opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of prayer, application of prayer. And so I commend it to you. Um, What we're about to listen to is from our Sunday gathering uh, as we are continuing our series on Philippians. And we are deeply challenged as we see the the fellowship of the gospel. We're deeply challenged as we see Paul's commitment to the gospel of Jesus and this unity that is based on the gospel. So God bless you as you listen to this. Everybody creates something and it is a God-given gift. Who here likes Minecraft? Anyone ever make anything in Minecraft? few hands there like if we were to apply this thing to if then in Minecraft like I reckon if Minecraft was around when I was a kid I would have been all over it if you are wanting to have light within a building that you make what brick then what brick should you choose you choose a torch What would you choose, Charlotte? (laughs) Creating light within a a room that you've built, what brick would you use to do that? You'd use a torch? Glowstone? So there's a few different options. In that case, what would you use? Ah, So more subtle? Nice. So not too bright. Yeah, you you got options. So with if, then, with coding... Like, usually it is very definite. If this is true, then do this. But there's many times in Minecraft and other areas of life where if something is true, the then is a little more nuanced. It's not a guaranteed thing to happen. And what we're about to look at here is one of those sorts of things. It's not a foregone conclusion that if this is true, then this will happen. 
but we will get to one of those a little bit later on where it is guaranteed. You know, we have not been made as robots. God hasn't programmed us in such a way that we have no choice over what we do. He has created principles, however, and there are some things that if they happen, then there will be a direct response, a direct consequence of that. So we are in Philippians chapter 2. We have had a look through Philippians chapter 1 over the past couple of weeks, um, and a number of us are also doing the um, the YouVersion Bible reading plan at the moment, and there is just so much in here for us to to understand and and seek to apply. Um, And in this case here, Paul is saying, if these things are true, then this is what I want you to do. If there, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, the NIV says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that's quite different to this. It's a little more elaborated and it gives you a bit more understanding that this is personal for you. If then there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. Is anyone here united with Christ? If you are a Christian, if you have said yes to Jesus, you are united with him. He is in you and you are in him. You are not seeking that as a down-the-track reality, but that is our current experience. We have been united with Christ. We're not trying to attain intimacy with him. We actually already have it. So Paul is saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, from being in Christ, if any consolation of love, another translation says comfort, a little more straightforward word, any comfort in love. My sister-in-law just had a miscarriage a couple of days ago. She had a 12-week scan close to a week ago, and it looked like she had miscarried, but a couple of nights ago, um, it, it happened. Uh, and, it, and it was brutal, and we were praying for a very different outcome than the one that we got. But what both Jade and Anna, who have visited here a couple of times, they live in Tasmania, what they both testified is that they experienced God's comfort in a situation they did not want in the slightest, they experienced God's comfort. They were aware of the prayers of others and the comfort that God gives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 starts off by telling us that God is the God of all comfort and he comforts us in all our trials so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we have received from him. He is a comforter. That's what he does. And he will often use other people to comfort us. We receive comfort, we receive consolation from his love. Next part, if any fellowship with the Spirit. Loneliness is endemic at the moment. There is more people who live alone today than there has ever been in history. And it's definitely more prevalent in the West 
Um, but it is something that is happening right around the world where people are living alone and there is loneliness. But it is not just people who live alone that experience loneliness. It's not just people that are isolated and completely on their own. There are many who are in the midst of many people but don't feel that depth of connection. But we have a deep fellowship. Other translations say partnership with the Spirit. We have fellowship with God himself. We're united with him and we experience fellowship with him. We're not trying to get his attention. We already have it. And all these things are telling us what is already true. They're not things that we're trying to attain. They're things that we're given as a free gift. We are called to be receivers and responders. So first and foremost, he gives us these things and we respond to that. We receive it, we respond to it. This next part, if any affection and mercy. So affection, I think it's the King James that says bowels. That's nice and clear, isn't it? It's also back in chapter 1. It's like, you know, God can testify how I long for all of you with the bowels of Jesus Christ, like the internal organ of Jesus. It's pretty weird, right? Because they saw that as the seat of your emotion, like your bowels. Get that funny feeling in your tummy <laughs> with your bowels, right? So it is, he uses that example back in chapter one. One of my personal highlights from these past few weeks as I've been reading through Philippians again has been the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul uses that to highlight just how strong his affection is for the Philippians. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He uses that as the highest example of affection there is. It's not much fun when someone is doing things for you out of obligation. It's not the nicest feeling. But when someone is doing kind things for you and it is their joy and their delight, it is all they want to do because they have that affection, it is so much easier to receive and it is, I don't know, it's better. Jesus is not one who is begrudgingly giving us of his love and his spirit. He delights to give us his love and his spirit. He loves you. He has that tenderness for you, that affection for you. If any, affection and mercy. So here's where other translations have the then. Then, if these things are true, the um, New International Reader's Version at this point makes it clear that if even one of these different things that we've just mentioned, four or five things, if even one of them is true, then do this. If you have received any of these good gifts from God himself, then this is what you are to do. And Paul is confident. He's writing to people that he knows, and he knows that they have tasted of the goodness of God. And he's just reminding them of different ways that God has blessed them. If this is true, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, 
intent on one purpose. What I'd like you to do is, with your Bibles open, just compare chapter 1, the second half of verse 27. Verse 27 is quite a long um, verse. So look at the second half of verse 27 and compare it with chapter 2, verse 2. What do you notice? Take a minute or two to have a look. So that's chapter 1, verse 27, the second half of that verse, and chapter 2, verse 2. What do you notice? Agree that it was unity. It was definitely focused on unity, and we have that again in chapter 2, verse 2, don't we? Strong push on be united. Any other comments? To unity. Intent on one purpose. Contending together for the faith of the gospel. The thing is, it's not unity for unity's sake. It's not like you got two kids and they're trying to decide what to play. One wants to do an inside board game. Other one wants to go and play a ball sport outside. They both need each other in order to play it. And as a parent, you know, they're like, help me decide. It's like, do one or the other. It doesn't matter what you do. Like, but do something together. Definitely agree with that. Paul's not got that opinion here. It's not... Do whatever you want as long as you think the same way. It is a very strong call for not just unity for the sake of unity, but intent on one purpose, contending together for the faith of the gospel. That's what the unity is based on. And you've probably seen that illustration. It's often used with, uh, with marriage and talking about this triangle. And so you've got the husband and the wife and then you've got God here um, and you know you try and come closer and closer together but the best way is both of you to focus on the Lord and as you are drawn closer to him you come closer to each other as well and it is true of every relationship if we are focused on the Lord if he is our goal and our purpose and we want to grow in our knowledge of him and we are seeking to help others to grow in the knowledge of him then our unity will naturally increase because we are focused on the same thing. I don't know if you've ever paddled, um, but if you're paddling, whatever you're looking at, you tend to paddle towards. And so if you're getting distracted at something over here and then you're paddling, after a little while you don't have to turn your head anymore because you are heading straight towards the thing that you were distracted by and suddenly looking at. What we are focused on, we are drawn towards. Let us be people who are focused on Jesus, his gospel, and we will increase in our unity. We will become more one. The reality of our oneness will be worked out. So now Paul has laid a bit of a foundation. He's given us his, his goal. Like for mine, that's the goal of the whole book, is that we would be united you fast forward to chapter 4 
And there's these two women with very interesting names, Yodia and Syntyche. And he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. There's obviously something that's between these two women and he's coming right at it and says, agree in the Lord. This book seems to be motivated largely by this desire for them to be a united people. But as I've said a number of times now, not just unity for the sake of unity, unity for the sake of the gospel, that we would get it more and that we would spread it more effectively. And here is a massive hint on how we move towards unity. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. NIV says vain conceit. Nothing out of selfish ambition. So nothing that is really about you getting what you want. And nothing out of vain conceit. Nothing because you actually think you're superior to somebody else. And your needs are more important. Nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And then this next verse, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Who's got the CSV on their phone? No big dramas if you don't. I'm just curious if they've changed this passage, if that's one thing they've updated, CSV. So chapter 2, verse 4. Yeah. I know it's subtle, but he just said, everyone should look not to his own interests, but to the interest of others. When they first printed the CSB, it was a bit softer. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the NIV has done the exact same thing. So the 1980, this is the Bible nerd in me, the 1984 edition of the NIV, it had that same thing. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The 2011 says everyone should look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. If you read the New Testament, there's two slightly different things that you get in terms of how you relate to others. You get passages like, love your neighbor as yourself, where you are level pegging with someone else. And then you have passages like this, where depending on what translation, it's either here or it's above. You never get anything in the New Testament that would indicate that others are beneath you. You always elevate. They're either on equal pegging or they're elevated above you. That is the only options that we have in New Testament Christianity. No one is beneath us. We are never to treat someone as beneath us. And certainly for some people, the issue is more seeing themselves as beneath everybody else. And the reality is that he, being Jesus, died for you just as he died for everybody else. And so we 
I was reading something um, on this passage this past week, and it was very focused on our fallenness, very focused on how messed up and broken and horrid we are. And the more we look at ourselves, the more obviously humble we will become. And I think it's probably true, but I don't think it's helpful. For every look that we have at our sin and our failings, we should look a hundred times at Jesus. The source of our humility is not our brokenness, but it's his magnificence. We are focused on him and how amazing he is, how beautiful and wonderful he is. And that, yeah, as per- he is perfect. There is no flaw, no fault in him. And he has said that we are holy and blameless in his sight. He's got good eyesight. He says we are holy and blameless in his sight. Doesn't mean we can't sin. Doesn't mean we can't get things really wrong. But what it does mean is he is so good that he's able to make us good. And our humility comes from seeing how amazing he is. Verse 5. This is one of the most amazing portions of Scripture. This, um, yeah, again, just listening to stuff this week and reading stuff this week. There are many who put this as the most exalted portion of all of Scripture. And I was challenged uh, many years ago to, to memorize the book of James, and I thought it was a ridiculous idea. Um, it was part of a discipleship program I was doing, and I did it. Memorized James, and then... I wanted to pick something else to memorize, and I chose this. This chunk from verse 1 to verse 11 was the next chunk that I focused on to memorize. It is a special portion of Scripture, and we are not called to be humble um, without an example. (laughs) We have the most ridiculous, incredible example in Jesus of humility. Verse 5, and... Speaking, like, just in terms of different research, like listening to stuff, reading stuff, this is one of the most contested passages in some ways. There's, there's some stuff about the, the nature of Jesus, the nature of God, the Trinity, all these questions, but no one doubts why Paul wrote it. There's some peripheral issues to the text that are actually big issues, but it is really obvious why he wrote it. And it's the stuff I've already introduced. It's because he wants unity. He says, make my joy complete. He says I re- in the previous chapter, I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. It doesn't matter if the proclamation of Christ makes my life more challenging. Like, I just want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He rejoices in Christ being proclaimed. His, his joy is found in Jesus, but his joy can be completed by them being unified. He's so eager to see their unity. And how will they become more united? By them being humble. And everyone seeing others as more important than themselves. What would a community look like if every member saw the other members as more important than themselves. I think it would look like the church, as Jesus intended. 
And here is the example of humility that we have. Verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The ESV says to adopt the attitude that is yours in Christ Jesus. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. Adopt this as a gift. Receive it. Let's hear about this amazing Jesus who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of the if-then statements of Scripture, James chapter 4, verse 8, is a reasonably well-known Scripture. Draw near to God, and He will. If you draw near to Him, then He will draw near to you. A couple of verses later, James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourself before the Lord. Does anybody know what the next part is? And he will lift you up. If you humble yourself before the Lord, he will. Then, if you do that, then he will lift you up. We see in this passage a picture of Jesus who humbled himself and then is exalted the name above every name. But let's dig a little bit deeper and look at the humility of Jesus. So verse 6 tells us, like the, the NIV says, being in very nature God. This is not as clear. Who existing in the form of God. So much has been argued around what that word means, of form. Does it mean the very essence of something or what they're exhibiting at the time? Anyhow, who being in very nature God. Jesus is God, and yet he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, something to be used to his own advantage. That is humility. As God, choosing to not receive the benefits of being God. We keep going. If you think of it like a, a ladder, I'm going to go with a catapult. Think of it as a catapult. So the first part, he's God, doesn't consider it as something to be exploited. Next part, he emptied himself, assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Like he came to his own. Like he made us and then he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. We read in John chapter 1. He came to us, but it wasn't that he came. One of the temptations, think about the temptations you might be familiar with in the desert with Jesus when he's about to start his ministry. One of the temptations is he's taken to the top of the temple and he's challenged to jump. 
saying that God will command his angels concerning you and they'll make sure you don't even stub your toe as you just come down. What that would look like is Jesus descending from heaven. Like you've got first century Palestine, Jerusalem with the temple, suddenly this man just descends out of heaven and everyone's like, what is this? They would respond to him as he deserved to be responded to, as God. But he doesn't come in that way. He comes humbly. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is getting intense. This is ratcheting down a catapult that has to release at some point. That is crazy humility that he would die. And then, even to death on a cross. So here is Paul, who's writing to the church in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. It's a special Roman colony in that every single citizen of Philippi is a Roman citizen. Roman citizens could not be crucified. It was too cruel. So he's writing to the church in Philippi, even death on a cross. Not only did he die, but he died a death that none of you listening to this letter can die because of your status as a Roman citizen. That is how far he has stooped. He stooped lower and lower and lower. If the Son of God stoops down, then he will be lifted up. He stooped down to the lowest of the low. And then that catapult didn't have a choice. In God's kingdom, what goes down must come up. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He did it with Jesus and he's calling us to do the same, to humble ourselves before him and he will lift us up. And you can get into this little debate in your head about motives around this. It's like, am I just humbling myself so that he will lift me up? You've got to have faith that he's going to do what he said he was going to do, even if you have motives that are wanting to be lifted up, if you get what I'm suggesting. It is still an act of faith. We are not dissuaded from anticipating the rewards that are to come. He has good gifts for us now and into the future. We humble ourselves because he told us to, but if there's a bit of like, oh, it's going to be fun to be lifted up as well, I think that's okay. He's told us in advance. He will lift us up. And we follow the example of Jesus who humbled himself to a ridiculous point. And we think of moments like the washing of the disciples' feet. In the, um, the Jewish law, uh, you could not make any Jew wash someone else's feet. 
the lowest of the low, couldn't force another Jew to wash your feet. And here is Jesus doing the despised act of washing his disciples' feet. So humble was he. And he calls us to do the same. In that passage in John 13, he says that we are to do the same. And we are to do the same as this. And he is the name that is above every name. And there is a day coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's comprehensive. I think that's everyone. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. But we have a choice about whether we do it now. There's repercussions, but we have the choice about whether we do that right here, right now. Let's bow the knee. Let's confess. He is Lord. Let's respond accordingly. Let's respond appropriately. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to open it up briefly for a chance if there's any more testimonies or if there's any comments around this or questions around this. We'll have a few minutes. Um, we were going to be heading to the park. It's rained too much, unfortunately. Um, so we're not going to be in a particular hurry to shoo everyone out of here today. Feel free to stick around for a little while um, and, and chat. Um, and I also just encourage you to, to pray with each other. Like we, We've got 21 days of prayer and fasting coming up uh, from the 1st of February. And we're going to be having a prayer meeting here every morning from 7 to 7.30. Uh, you are welcome to come to one, to come to all of them. Um, I challenge you, though, to, to come to at least one. So we're doing them weekdays as well as weekends. Uh, just, yeah, strongly encourage you to come to at least one of those. It's 21 days of prayer and fasting, and so we're also laying aside some things and encourage you to consider what you might lay aside for those 21 days. Uh, something that I'm aware of um, is that for a few months last year, I don't actually know how long it was, but for a few months I had my phone on, on grayscale, so I had no colors on my phone. And it was really interesting because like, it really frustrated Christy any time that she was looking at maps on my phone. Maps on grayscale just aren't very helpful unless you're just getting the audio through it. Um, but occasionally we'll turn it to, um, to the colors and it looks so fake. The colors looked crazy fake. It's like animated films from decades and decades ago and you look at it and it's like oh that just seems a bit off and fake but it's just interesting how fake my phone looked when I was so used to having the grayscale and then had the colors back I think there's something appropriate about that and just how fake what we often take in uh, through our phones is so anyway I'm going to return to, to doing grayscale uh, also going to just get rid of a whole bunch of apps. Like one thing I've noticed, like yesterday, I was checking the, the tennis and the cricket at different points, you know, and we were with some other people and I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm aware of this, like checking these things. There's no benefit in doing that. So there's some things I'm going to lay down. I've got some more things that I'm considering as well, but it could be food related. doesn't have to be. It's not about proving your worth to God in fasting. It's about actually creating some hunger it's getting rid of something that can distract 
so that you can hear him more clearly and so that you can obey more completely. I'm going to pray and then I'll open it up if anyone wants to, to share. So Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, the name that is above every name, the man, the God-man who is above everyone else, this King of kings, this Lord of lords. We celebrate Jesus in this place. We ask that we would have a clearer picture of who he is and what he's done and what that means for us. Lord, would you continue to speak to us and would we put it into practice? In Jesus' name, amen. Testimonies, questions, or comments? I'm not giving you very long. <laughs>